Podcast City Network. This is Jim the Podcast Sherpa from Too Many Podcasts, and you've got a ringside seat to the Mark the Shark MMA show. Let's get ready to podcast! Hi everyone, I am your host, Mark the Shark Retorto, and welcome to the Mark the Shark MMA show, where every week we talk about the wonderful sport of MMA. To me, we will review the most recent and upcoming events in MMA news. In each episode, the format may be changed, but you will always be entertained. There will be special interviews with special guests, along with special insights on the sport from our guest hosts. Also, check out our Facebook page for news and updates on future episodes. Also, we appreciate donations from our listeners to keep our podcast up and running. You can make a donation by clicking on the Click the Support button found at anchor.fm slash Mark the Shark MMA Show. And that's Mark spelled with a C and not a K. We are also looking for guests who want to be on the show and sponsors who want to advertise their product and brand on the show. For more information, contact me on the Mark the Shark MMA Show Facebook page. Page. Also, for a plug-in, if you're looking for a good action thriller suspense novel, check out a book called The Cabal, The Saga Begins. You can find it on both Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. It is available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobooks format on Amazon.com. and paperback version only on BarnesandNoble.com. And the hardcover version is only available at www.retortofamilybooks.com. For a good book for your kid to read, check out I Am a Survivor or Invisible Girl, written by a little 11-year-old girl by the name of Christina Retorta. She has her books in Kindle and audiobook format and paperback format on Amazon.com and paperback format on both Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And the hardcover version is only available at www.retortofamilybooks.com. Okay, everyone, keep on listening. We'll be back shortly after this break. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by Defense Soap. Defend what you have built. Used by all jiu-jitsu and MMA athletes to prevent skin infections. Save 15% with the code MarkTheSharkMMAShow. This episode is also brought to you by Audible. You'll get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day trial. Alright guys, this is Mark the Shark, and I got some great news. If you subscribe to my email list on my website, I will email you a promo code that will allow you to save 20% on any MMA gear or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gear put out by Hypnotic. All you have to do is go to www.marktheshark.mmashow.com, and that is Mark with a C and not a K, and subscribe to my email list. Go ahead and subscribe today. All right, guys, we're back on the show, and today we got a very special guest. The guy has been fighting since 1998 in various organizations, including the UFC. We, today we have a guy that's fought Robbie Lawler, Ben Thomas, Jeremy Horn. I mean, he's fought them all. Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome to the show Steve Berger. How are you doing today? 
Doing good, Mark. Good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's an honor, sir. It's an honor. Now, I know you've been fighting since 1998, but how did you get into the MMA? I like to hear the story. You know, I mean, uh, I I was kind of a, a just a rough and tumble kid, and I guess uh, you know I was always in the boxing. Uh, I had uh, uh, wrestled from eighth grade on up to senior year. And then, uh, you know, I saw the pay-per-view, you know, thing, uh, UFC. And I guess it was uh, – I didn't even see the first one. I saw the second one on, on the pay-per-view. They were, they were advertising it. And I remember looking at it, and I thought, man, is this some kind of – pro wrestling deal because I was looking at the clips and stuff on there and I was like I wonder if this is real and I remember just thinking ah screw it I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance and I'm gonna click on it and I clicked on it and man that was it I became hooked uh, right after I watched that uh, you know of course I started trying to find out where I could learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu and this was you know probably back in 93 94 and I couldn't find uh, anything, you know, nobody had heard of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, around here, you know. So I did some research and I found out that Judo uh, came from Jiu-Jitsu. So I went and I got into Judo and I did Judo for about a year, year and a half. And I ended up breaking my thumb. Uh, <laughs> I got got thrown and landed on the thumb and it snapped it in half. And, you know, it was like a deal where I had to have surgery and get pins in it and stuff. So I was out for a little bit. And when I ended up uh, deciding, oh, I'll flip, flip through the phone book and find my old judo school. Here I saw a big page that said, you know, Rodrigo Boggy, uh, Hicks and Gracie Blackbelt had moved into town and opened up a place. So I was like, oh, well, here we go. So I went up there, and I think I was uh, 23 at the time, and that was like right towards the end of 96. Went up there, and I, I started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and uh, man, you know, Rodrigo just uh, pretzeled me up and let me know that I was not the man I thought I was, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu can be humbling. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. At that point in time, you know, win, lose, or draw, I would have thought I could have given Mike Tyson a, a fight. And I went up there and here, Rodrigo tapped me just an insane amount of times in five minutes. And uh, there was nothing I could do about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was demoralizing. <laughs> now, I know you said you, you did some boxing. So you, did you do like any like Golden Gloves boxing? Back in the day? Or yeah. yeah, I did. I, uh, you know, I got into boxing and uh, I fought in Golden Gloves uh, three times. Uh, two of the times I ended up losing and one time I won. Uh, the one time was in Kansas City and I drove down there. Uh, was pretty excited to do the thing and I get down there and there's one guy in my bracket. So he and I fought it out and I won. So then I won the whole thing, you know, so. So it wasn't uh, wasn't as great of a story as uh, as I'd like to have been, but I still got the W. So, <laughs> now, us, now I don't know if the viewers really understand this because a lot of the guys that are watching it they probably became fans after the Ultimate Fighter. Sure. But 
you were pretty much when you started your career you started your career pretty much where people were just they were still kind of like brawlers right and yeah. you have seen it go from where people were just you know like maybe one guy was like a good striker all the way up to past UFC 19 where people started really blend everything together perfectly absolutely i uh I would say I wasn't in on the very, very beginning, but I was definitely in on the infancy. You know, I mean, it was kind of, it was one of those things, like if you look back to my time, there was still a lot of single style fighters, including myself, who were coming in and starting to try and mix other other styles in, you know, so that you could go and, and compete in MMA. So, you know, if to, to clear it up a little more, you know, I would train my Brazilian jiu-jitsu at one place, Rodrigo's place. And then I would drive and I would go to a boxing gym and I would work my boxing. And then, you know, sometimes after jiu-jitsu, if I could get somebody who was a wrestler, we would do wrestling. So we did it all kind of separate starting out, you know, and it wasn't until a few years down the line that we actually started trying to combine it all and work it all together. And I think, uh, that's because Militich, you know, he, he came on the scene and that's what he was doing. And when people started figuring that out, including myself, that's when everybody was like, oh, yeah, we need to start this grapple boxing and start training for what we're actually competing in. Yeah, because I actually saw your fight or parts of your fight when you fought, uh, what was his name, Chris Brennan. Yeah. Already fighting for a few years there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think you were wearing, I think at that time you wore a purple belt, right, in jiu-jitsu? Because I saw the purple belt. I'm assuming that's from jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I, I might have been a blue belt then. I was, uh, I might have been a blue belt when I fought Brennan. I might have been a purple. I don't even remember. Uh, but, uh, God, that was, that was probably over 20 years ago or right at 20 years ago. So, yeah. long, long time. I mean, you've done it all. I mean, yeah, yeah, quite a bit. I, uh, I, I, I've been around, you know, and I was just, I was stubborn. I think most, uh, good pro fighters have about a five year career and I went 16 years, but <coughs> excuse me, not that that was the right thing to do. I probably stayed in a little too long. Yeah. And what do you think is the biggest change that you've seen? Like, between even, let's say, from when you started your, uh, like, ended your career to, like, now. I mean, you've had and seen some major changes in the sport, right? Like, how do you feel about it? Uh, you know, I mean, biggest thing is, is that I think that uh, every, everybody's kind of, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to fight, you know, to train, you know, don't like, you know, we used to, like I touched on earlier, we used to train our jujitsu in a gi. And then we'd go ahead and we'd, you know, do some wrestling. And then we'd go to another place and we'd do some boxing. Now it's, you know, everybody knows, hey, if you're going to fight, you need to get in there and you need to train like you're going to fight. You know, you, you have to, you know, put the – obviously, you, you take your precautions. You put the headgear and you put the, uh, the bigger gloves on, you know, but they're still open and, you know, you, you – put the shin pads on and all that you go you go hardcore that that way starting out you know I was just doing boxing in a ring 
and then I would come and do jujitsu and then I'd try and wrestle a little bit, you know, and it just, uh, and then you try and combine it all together in the ring. Uh, you know, now everybody's just training for the sport that they're doing. Mm. Now, how did you handle yourself financially back then? Cause I mean, the money is there now. It's still not as big as, you know, other professional sports like baseball or football. But um, did, were you doing all this while you were working a full-time job? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I was a roofer, so I would, I would go and I would roof all day. And then, uh, then you know, I'd go to the gym at night and train. Wow. That's not like an easy job either. Roofing construction is definitely not easy. No, not at all. You know, I mean, it was one of those things that uh, you have to forgive me. I don't know what's going on. I swallowed a frog or something. I'm <laughs> choking here while I'm trying to talk to you. Hang on, let me get a drink. All right, sorry. Yeah, no, uh, uh, roofing's definitely a tough job, you know, but it's something that, that does toughen you up. Uh, it's funny, I was talking to a guy who was doing a podcast with a few weeks ago, and I was telling him, you know, I mean, I really, when I look back, I think it attributed a lot of my toughness uh, to, I, I can attribute a lot of my toughness to roofing. Because, you know, when you're up there and the sun's beating down on you and, you know, you're just you're dead tired, you've been slinging shingles all day and pounding them in, you know, uh, you, you want to quit. But then you're like, well, you know, the sooner I get this roof done, the sooner I go home. So you just keep muscling through, you know. Yeah. And, you know, and so. doing a little workout afterwards is not easy. <clears throat> absolutely. You know, there was many a times when I came home and jumped in that shower and then came out and I was like, man, all I want to do is go to sleep. But like, well, I got the gym in the hour. Might as well slam some coffee and go, you know? Man. And what, um, what area did you grow up in? I grew up in uh, South County, born and raised in St. Louis. And where? <coughs> St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, okay. 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 And then I see the, I see the, and your record before, like Jeremy Horn. Like, did you ever like fight someone that you trained with in all these matches that you had? No, uh, you know, I mean, what's funny is uh, I, I trained with Jeremy later on, you know, and there was guys that I had fought and trained with afterwards. But uh, you know, like I think Matt Hughes uh, had come to uh, Granite City, Illinois, and opened up the Hit Squad. And so Matt and Jeremy were real tight. So Jeremy was down there at the hit squad. So I would go up there and I'd roll with Matt and Jeremy. And, uh, you know, and of course, everything was friendly. You know, we just kind of at one time, you know, we had fought. And then, uh, you know, I went up there and we got a little work. You know, it was kind of kind of a cool setup that he had there. So that was that training session was after you fought, correct? <laughs> yeah, that was years after I had fought him. Uh, and how was it uh, working out with Matt Hughes? Man, the guy's strong as hell. You know, he's a, he was a monster. It was probably uh, seven or eight years ago that I went up there. He was uh, definitely a better jiu-jitsu player than, uh, 
than I had expected, you know, because I, I thought he was basically just a, a wrestler. And uh, when, when I went up there and rolled with him, uh, we had a real solid match. You know, neither one of us tapped each other, but it was a, it was a solid match. And he, uh, he was as strong as the Hulk, you know. <laughs> um, now, a lot of the training, I guess, is, was uh, Nogi, correct? Yes. Uh, now, out of, all, out of all the fights you had, like, who was your toughest opponent? Oh, man, that's, that'd be a hard one to answer. You know, I mean, I, I fought so many tough guys and so many big-name guys back in the day. But, uh, I mean, there was just, just so many that, that stick out, you know, from Shoney Carter to Aaron Riley to Robbie Lawler to Jake Shields. Uh, Jeremy Horn, of course, um, it, just so many tough picking, picking the toughest. That's that would just be too hard, you know. Uh, and when you fought Robbie Lawler, that was in the UFC, I believe, correct? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. I got uh, got the call, uh, you know, to fight this kid named Robbie Lawler and. You know, it was my dad who actually took the call, and he he just calls me up. I was sitting on the roof. I really kind of thought my time in the UFC was done at that point because I had been there and lost, and then I went back, and I got a no contest, and then I was like, oh, man, I just screwed it up. So I was like, well, you know, I'll just take a break and go back to roofing, and next thing I know uh, – uh, time had went by and I'm sitting on the roof and my dad calls me up and he's like, Hey, guess what? Got you a fight in the UFC. I was like, really? When? He's like, in two weeks. It's like, Oh, wow. And I was like, dad, I haven't been training. I haven't, he said, it doesn't matter. This is a big show. You don't say no. I was like, all right, you're right. And, uh, next thing I know, I, I was 205 pounds at the time. I just started concentrating on cutting weight and, getting uh getting myself down so I can make that 170 and I uh, was on the plane the following week and and I fought Robbie and you know first round went well but uh second round he caught me and that was that now how many weeks preparation did you have for that fight man I didn't I didn't have much at all I'd say probably it was I you know we're going back to I think it was 2003 but I I'd say I probably had about a week and a half. Uh, so you cut all that weight in a week and a half? Yeah, cut a, I cut a ton of weight, you know, because they, uh, they get you out there about a week before the fight. And I think I got the call from my dad about two and a half weeks before, uh, before the fight. So, you know, they, uh, they, you know, it was just like, man, it's just time to go. You know, I just uh, jumped jumped on the treadmill and started running and started starving myself, you know, trying to cut the weight and make it. And uh, yeah. like I said, first round, I, I was feeling good, but I, I was gassing real quick, you know, and uh, second round, I just came out sloppy and Robbie is not the type of guy to come out sloppy. You know, I was, had my, my hand down and he came over the top with that right hook and, followed it up with a nice little combination and when he got on top of me that was it you know wow now was he the strongest puncher you, you faced uh 
Yeah, I'll tell you what. He uh, he probably was the the strongest, but I mean, I uh, I fought a guy by the name of Waylon Lowe. I only got uh, KO'd two times, one by Robbie Lawler and another by Waylon. And uh, and Waylon was later on in my career, but uh, boy, he he knocked me out, and <clears throat> I mean, he put me to sleep knocked me out I was uh you know I was seeing Tweety Bird with with Robbie but uh Waylon I I think I was out for a couple minutes you know it wasn't one of my better fights it was uh towards the end of my end of my career and we were throwing some punches and the next thing I know I was just waking up and they're like you're all right hey you know who you are <laughs> wow now out of all your wins because you got like 20 wins on your record here probably more <laughs> I'm just going off the top of my head. Sure. But, uh, which one was the, meant the most to you? Uh, boy, that's another that's another tough one. Uh, there's 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 quite a few. I mean, you you love every single win, but uh, you know one of, one of the best was when I was down in Costa Rica. You know, I fought the, a guy by the name of Piotr Jakuzinski, and I mean the whole setup was just so cool. They uh, Calvin Air, who was like, uh, I think, rated the 37th richest man in the world at the time, mm. it set up that uh, Bodog fight, and he had Bodog gambling going, and Bodog basically was a deal where he would set servers up in different countries and mm. allow you to make bets and stuff. Oh, and, I didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah. I've seen a few Bodog events. Um, I remember that. Just like I remember a hook and shoot. I know you fought on that. Uh, I'm like me and you are pretty pretty much close in age. So, I mean, I've been like following MMA for a very long time. But yeah, I remember Bodog. But I didn't know you can bet on that. Yeah, yeah, he had Bodog fight. You know, because I guess uh, you know it was just basically the Bodog gambling. The gambling was his number one thing. But he opened up Bodog fight, Bodog music, to kind of you know maybe filter more people into the gambling and uh uh he would set his servers up in canada and russia different countries and stuff so nobody would he wouldn't be paying taxes you know all these u.s people would go ahead and uh they, they would place their bets and stuff and then whenever he collected all that money i guess uncle sam wasn't getting the taxes <coughs> excuse me but uh so that's why he got shut down. Oh, I was wondering what happened to that. And then who was the guy that uh, ran hook and shoot? I'm trying to remember that guy's name. Jeff Osborne. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, back in the day, I used to, uh, this was before Google. I used to run like a, a martial arts website. Yeah. And I used to buy my, my hook and shoot tapes from him. Yeah. And I would sell them yeah. on the website. Yeah, Jeff was he was definitely a student of the game, you know. He had he had every aspect covered from it. Yeah. Tapes the fight. Yeah, because I even remember selling his tapes at uh like here in Jersey they had a uh in a, a South Plainsville High School they used to have like uh shoot fighting tournaments. Yeah. And I would sell I would sell his tapes there. Crazy. Yep. Now, got another question for you. 
Now, what was the worst injury you ever got from a fight? Man, I uh, I ended up uh, right after <clears throat> right after I did that that bodog thing in Costa Rica. I was telling you, I was training. And I was training real hard. I, you know, things were going pretty good for me at that time. I ended up signing a, a, a really big contract with Bodog. And uh, I, I was like, all right, I finally made it. You know, that's where I want to be. And I ended up uh, somewhere in between that Costa Rica fight and my next fight. I ended up getting two herniated discs and three bulging discs in my spine. Man, that was painful. Oh, man. <clears throat> That was uh that was by far the the worst injury I've ever had, and I still deal with it to this day. Uh, went, uh, you know, I went ahead and I fought. Uh, I fought for a while. I, I I just thought maybe this is what they mean by getting older because I was having all this pain in my neck, and I would go up to the gym and we had a sauna, and I would start getting there like an hour early. And I'd get in the sauna and stuff and try and warm it all up because I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was around 34, 35 at the time. And I just couldn't figure out what was going on in my neck. And uh, I'm taking, you know, all this time in the sauna. And then I would go out and I'd wrestle. And after that first match, it was kind of like my adrenaline took over and I'd just keep pushing through. And I got real lucky because I remember when I finally, when it, when the pain just, cause it, it just never goes away. It's like somebody's sticking an ice pick in the back of your neck and just wiggling it. And when it got so bad that, I mean, I just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even wrestle. I couldn't do anything because I, I just had no power in the left side, my left arm or my left chest. I finally went to the doctor and he's like, Jesus, how long you been doing this? I'm like, Months, you know? he's like yeah, this is insane you know he said uh, you'll you'll never wrestle again and I was like well if that's that's the case I'll find out the hard way because you know I've uh, sunk everything I have into uh into grappling I opened up uh, my own grappling gym at the time and you know I was still trying to fight I still had in my head I was going to make it back to the UFC and uh so he was telling me you need to get surgery, you need to get this fixed. And I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to do surgery. And, uh, you know, he basically said, well, look, you can go to this physical therapy and uh, maybe that'll get you better. Well, I went to that for weeks and nothing was happening. And, you know, you do so many of these little goofy exercises they tell you and stuff. But I just was still in constant pain. And uh, my one of my students at the time kept telling me, you need to see this chiropractor that I go to. Well, I had heard from, <clears throat> excuse me again, I had heard from these MDs that uh, chiropractors are witch doctors, don't go to them, they'll twist your neck up, they'll make things worse. So I just kept telling him, no, no, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm just going to stick with this physical therapy. Well, after weeks of going and not getting any better, I finally was like, hey, give me the guy's name and give me his number. I'll go, I'll go see him. So I went up. <coughs> I went up, and the guy worked on me. And after the first time that he worked on me, man, I, 
I felt a little better. I was still in pain, but it was just like, you know, he did all his stuff and snapped and popped my neck. And I was like, wow, I, you know, that's, that's the best I've felt in a while. You know, I'm still hurting, but you know, I feel, feel a lot better. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know what it does is I guess it releases like nitrogen or whatever when it, when it cracks the, uh, the spine and it causes the disc to slip back into place a little each time uh, in between the vertebrae. So I kept going to him. I went to him like three days a week. He had told me, <clears throat> he looked at my MRIs and he said, I think I can get you back on the mat in 10 weeks. And I kept going to him. And uh, 10 weeks later, I was back wrestling on the mat, you know, so I'm a, I'm a big fan and a big believer in chiropractors nowadays. Yeah, yeah I, I really don't think therapy really helps that much. <laughs> and I'm, if you're an old person, it never worked out maybe, but not not for athletes. I mean, it depends on the injury, you know, like if you toy right. maybe. Yeah, well, I was – that was one of those things I was so frustrated at the time because I was like, holy crap, I'm listening to everything these doctors are telling me it's not helping. You know, they kept wanting to give me these pills and you just feel like a zombie taking those. So I finally was, oh man, I'd just rather, rather deal with the pain than be in pain and feel like I'm sleepwalking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now in your career, <laughs> You know, and, and all you know, and in your losses, which was the most controversial decision loss you ever had? Like, like you know, like you fought, you thought you won, and then you lost based on a decision. Was there any particular fight that you think back? Yeah, you know, was controversial. I had, a, I had a few of them. One thing you got to realize, I mean, there was plenty, plenty of death. Definitely a lot of my losses that I deserved, but I definitely had a few that I feel like because I was a road warrior, you know, I was in somebody else's hometown with somebody else's home crowd, you know, I, I got, I got the loss. The other guy got the nod, you know, anytime it was close fight, but you know, what are you going to do? That's kind of something that you, you knew going in. And uh, like my dad told me a long time ago, he said, look, if, if you can't finish the guy, and don't complain about the the decision afterwards. You know, it took me a long time to basically come to terms with that, but but I have. You know, I didn't I didn't finish the guy, so you know whatever decision the judges made is the decision they made. No matter mm-hmm. or saying, well, what about this, this, and this is going to change it. You know, because believe yeah. me, I, I tried in the past to cry and say different stuff. now nowadays you see a lot of these professional mma fighters getting caught with performance enhancement drugs you know uh, testosterone replacement therapy and all that has there been any opponents that you fought that you felt like oh man this guy's definitely on something absolutely you look at the uh the list of the fighters that i fought uh, I know for a fact that that they were on crap, you know, and that's one thing I can say. <clears throat> Even though I'm a 500 fighter, you know, I can say I fought every fight clean, you know. So I I never did do it, and uh, you know, maybe maybe that was a mistake, you know, maybe I should have, but uh, 
you know, it's one of those things that at least I can say, hey, I fought every fight clean. And, you know, quite a few of those guys were juiced up and they beat me. But there were some of those guys that I beat that were juiced up too, you know. So it is what it is. So what are you doing nowadays? You have your own um, gym now, I believe? <laughs> no, I uh, – I had my own gym for about uh, 12 years, but I shut it down about three years ago. Uh, it just it got to the point, you know, I never lost money on it, but I have, you know, I have a son and I have a daughter and my son was about 10 at the time. My daughter was about six and I was working a full-time job. And then I was driving up to uh, the gym, waiting around until the gym got going. And then I would train, and then by the time I shut the gym down and mop the mats and do all that crap, come home, it'd be about nine nine fifteen, and uh, you know the kids were either in bed or going to bed, and it just got to the point where I was like, man, you know why? Why am I doing this? I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not fighting anymore, and I'm you know I'm not making uh, enough money to quit my day job with it. So, you know. Mm. I'm just, hang it up so i did <clears throat> yeah but, it's not easy right because you're missing out on uh, the special moments with your kids right absolutely yeah do you still train at all like just to keep for exercise yeah, I that'll i don't know if uh you know unless something physically happens to me i don't know if i'll ever stop you know i mean i've uh i i probably took the longest break that I ever took after I shut my gym down, I was probably out for a good year and just did nothing except for concentrate on eating. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I started packing on the pounds. I was like, geez, I need to get back after it. So I was, I was getting a lot of calls. A lot of people would ask me, you know, Hey, will you come teach some no-gi jujitsu and stuff? So I, I went ahead and I, I, you know, Told a couple of the guys, sure, I'll take you up on your offer. So I coached at a couple gyms. And uh, then when uh, things didn't work out one way or the other, you know, nothing bad. But uh, one guy just he went out of business. The other guy, he was about 45 minutes away from me. So that just got really, uh, really annoying, you know, having to drive there after work and then drive all the way back. So I had a gym by my house and I ended up uh, going down there and, you know, that guy uh, uh, had basically offered me a deal to coach there. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. These are the nights I can do it. So I've been down there. It's been nice. I've been able to stay in shape and keep wrestling around on the mats and, uh, you know, share some of the knowledge that I've learned over the past 23 years. Oh. That's good. At least you're keeping active. I bet when you had that year off, though, you started feeling like some body parts that were aching you were not aching anymore, right? Well, you know, absolutely. I, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I definitely feel it a lot more. Even when I'm, uh, you know, it used to be I'd, I'd go and I'd work all day. Then I'd go to the gym. I'd train all night. Then I'd come home. I'd get four or five hours sleep, pop up to the exact same schedule. And it was like, you know, once I got up and shook off that grogginess, I was fine. You know, I was ready to run through a brick wall and was fine. Well, right around 38, 39, 
it started to hit me. Now I'm 46, and, man, mm-hmm. it's like going on a roll with these young guys, and we have good roles and stuff, and then it's like I wake up the next morning, I feel like the tin man. I'm like, oh. Yeah, uh, man, I, I feel you, dude. Yeah, I actually stopped training. I got injured in October. I had my thumb back, went back, and I had problems with my foot. I'm actually, you know, I tried stem cell therapy, which kind of brought the pain down, but I've kind of been out since January. Like, I tried coming back. I took eight weeks off. I'm back in January, and I just physically couldn't do it. Um, but I'm noticing now, though, know, like, I've gained the weight, but my body's getting stronger. You know, I can actually do push-ups, which I haven't been able to do because my wrists were always messed up from, uh, from jiu-jitsu. But uh, I'm hoping to get back into it. <laughs> Absolutely. In September, you know, I miss it. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Without a doubt. You know, driving nuts whenever you, you you want to do it, but the body doesn't want to let you, you know? Yeah. You got to listen to it, and then whenever it's ready, you know, you get back in there. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So now, so you're coaching a little bit at this – one particular school is there any particular fighters there that you're trying to like coach mentor you know yeah i got a bunch of young up-and-comers that are uh uh you know training with me and you know they they have dreams to make it big uh nobody nobody from there yet has you know made it on a huge show but Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, they've all got it in their sights, and they're all young guys, you know? Mm. Do any of them have any, like, particular fights coming up, like, even in, like, a local small and local circuit, or? You know, on uh, local stuff, they got, uh, they've, they've got a few here and there. I've got a guy fighting tonight. Uh, mm. He's been with me for a while. Uh, he's, I think this will be his third pro fight, Justin Langford. But he's fighting at a show called Nemesis uh, tonight, which is just, you know, it's a little small show here. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, as far as uh, anything to any guys to talk about that are that are slated for the UFC or slated for Bellator out of my gym, not just yet. But uh, we we do St. Louis, the Midwest has a has a ton of great fighters. And there's quite a few that uh, that are headed that way, or or are knocking on that door right now. Now, if you had to do it all over again, would you done what you did now, or would you have changed it in terms of your MMA career? I would have changed it definitely. I think the uh, the biggest thing, like I had mentioned earlier, is uh, you know I had a 16 year career where you know I took a little bit of downtime here and there but I was fighting every year uh for 16 years and I uh I think I got burned out probably right around the time that I I made it to the UFC and then lost I lost the decision and it was kind of like I got burned out you know and what I wish I would have done looking back is I wish whenever I got those other phone calls I'd have just been like no I'm not going to take the fight. You know, I just need some time off. I wish I would have cleared my head. I wish I would have maybe pushed it aside, given it a little rest, and, and let that fire and that hunger build back up. Because uh, even though I had it 
it wasn't as strong as it was in the beginning, you know, after if that makes sense, uh, mm-hmm. after I made it and then lost. And, uh, you know, so there was plenty of times when I'd get calls a month and a half away or whatever to, to fight so-and-so and I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, I could do it. And then I'd, you know, start training and then I'd fall off because of work and other stuff that was going on. And then, you know, next thing I know, oh, shit, it's fight time, you know, and I'm not nearly in shape that I should be, you know. Yeah. And, uh, a lot so, different now. These guys, they, they do it all full time, you know. Right, right. The opportunities right. that, you know, your generation in terms of MMA, they, they didn't have the opportunity to do, you know. No, you know, it was always uh, if you're a pro boxer, you know, then then you you could just box for a living. But back, back when I was coming up, if you were an MMA guy, well, you had to have another job, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if people wanted to get in con- contact with you, what's, like, the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, right now, you know, you can probably just hit me up on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I like I said, I don't have my own gym. Uh, I'm training down at Han Extreme Fitness is where I'm coaching. Mm-hmm. So anybody who wants to, to come up and wrestle with me or, or, or check out the program, they can look that up, and I'm there on Tuesday and Thursday nights from 5 to 7 p.m. All right. You guys heard that. Um, if you guys are in that local area and you want to chain with a guy that's done it and been there and done it all, that's where you go. Steve, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on the show. Hey, thank you, man. And, I mean, I, I was really excited to have you on the show. I'm telling you, that's from the truth, man. It was a real honor having you on the show. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Well, my ego up here. Yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> sorry, sorry I had this summer cold or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. Not all right anyway. Yep. All right, guys, we'll be back after this break. What's up, world? This is Will, and you are about to listen to the Mark the Shark MMA show. Enjoy the show. Three. All right, guys, we're back on the show, and today we've got a very special guest, former Invicta flyweight champion, Barb Hontek. How you doing today? Hey, Mark, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Yeah, you're the first world champion I'm interviewing on the show. Oh, yeah. You know, so I'm very excited. And the first person I've had on the show that was also on The Ultimate Fighter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've interviewed a couple, I've interviewed uh, several UFC fighters and Bellator fighters, but you're the first world champion, first person that ever interviewed from The Ultimate Fighter. So it's going to be kind of like a real treat for me. That's oh, great. <laughs> Ask away. <laughs> <laughs> so um, give the listeners a little background on yourself, like where you grew up and how did you get into uh, mixed martial arts? Um, so I grew up uh, near St. Louis, Missouri. It was actually Edwardsville, Illinois. And um, I mean, I went to college. I went away to school. I, I have a bachelor's degree that I obtained from Western Washington and a master's degree that I got 
from Northern Arizona University. So I was later in life when I started training. Um, after I finished those degrees, my husband and I moved back to the Midwest for him to further his job career. And it's there that I started training um, jujitsu under Steve Berger, who I believe you recently interviewed. Yep. And, um, yep. And so I just started training jujitsu with Steve for self-defense and for exercise. And one thing led to the next. And next thing I knew, six months in, there was a boxer that was looking for um, an opponent. And Steve approached me and asked me if I'd want to fight. And he didn't think I'd even take it. Um, but I had never been in a fight in my life at that point. And I took it just out of curiosity. And that first amateur fight was also one week before my wedding. So there's that oh, little element okay. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I took the fight. She beat my ass in the first round because she stood with me and she had hands of which at the time I had none. And then in the second round, she took me to the ground where I finished the fight by choking her up. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of all of it. I ran to the corner and asked Steve when the next one was and it just kind of snowballed from there. Now, what kind, kind of a child were you growing up? Were you very... Um athletic um like get I, a description as how you were as a kid growing up they always sure. find that interesting like some fighters were were very shy growing up um socially awkward some of them were not um no i was I find pretty, that interesting i was pretty outgoing as a kid i was um you know, when we, I had a lot of, a lot of my mom's friends had boys. So I did have a lot of friends who were boys. So, you know, when you would go around and play Star Wars or Cowboys or whatever, you know, I was always the princess, but I was still in the, the um, sandbox making mud pies with them, you know, so <laughs> I was a, a little bit of a princess and a little bit of a tomboy, I guess, a little, a little of both. Um, it wasn't really I mean, I really wasn't all that athletic. I did gymnastics as a little kid um, up through my tween years. Um, okay. I, I tried track, wasn't very good at that. Um, tried soccer, wasn't very good at that. So I really didn't do a whole lot of great athletics, like team sport athletics. Mm -hmm. um, I did do a little bit of horseback riding at a pretty young age and also started um, scuba diving. I was certified when I was 13. So I had a lot of like outdoor, more outdoor activities that I enjoyed more than the team sports when I was younger. Yeah, I find that as a common element. Um, I think among most MMA fighters, like even if they were athletic and they did team sports, they, they preferred the uh, individual sports. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like so like gymnastics, I would think that that would have probably helped you out. You know, if you did that for a few years, because that builds up coordination. Oh, sure. No, when I did jujitsu, I, I picked it up really fast and I, I definitely credit um, gymnastics to giving me that level of body awareness that, you know, that a lot of boys had from things like wrestling when they were little. So I think that gymnastics definitely helped with my jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you did your one fight without having it. You did had zero martial arts experience. No, you know, typical traditional martial arts like Taekwondo or Judo. No, just wanted to see for not until I was about 26, I think, was when I started with Steve. Wow. Yeah. So how was that? What was your thought process going into that fight? Were you freaking out? Or you oh, were... yeah, I was terrified. Yeah, I was, I was scared out of my mind. Um, 
But what Steve's coaches told him is what he told me is like the only way out of this building is through that cage. So, I mean, one of my mantras that I've had since then, from the very beginning, it's you get to the cage and it's, I mean, honestly, the thing that goes through your head right before you walk through the cages, the cage doors is fuck it. Because <laughs> that's where you're at. It's like, this is happening. This is happening now. So I have to do it one way or another. So fuck it. Here we go. <laughs> um, that's just kind of the attitude once you get there all the fears and um, anxiety and everything else just has to kind of go away you just have to go do it yeah and you had um before you turned pro you had like what six or eight amateur fights uh, no I had quite yeah I mean I had quite a lot man I'd have to go back and look at my own record at this point but I want to say it was like nine or ten. Oh, okay yeah I had quite it a few was up there and it was and, and that might have been boxing and MMA together. I can't, like I said, I'd have to go look up my own record at this point. I don't really remember. Okay. And then, and then you went pro. Yeah. And then, and then you became the first flyweight champion for Invicta. Yeah. Now, how, how was your experience with Invicta? Like, can you explain that to everybody that's listening to the show? Like, <laughs> how, did, did you, like how did you feel about um, competing? Because back in that day, you were probably, you know, that was probably MMA for females was wasn't really that popular, right? Because you, you probably were doing it before Ronald Rousey put oh, it on yeah. the internet, right? Yeah. No, no. I mean, so you mentioned I was on Tough, and the reason I went to Tough was because that was just over a year, maybe two years ago, and that was when my weight class just got added to the UFC. So well late past my prime in my career was you know by the time my weight class got added to the UFC. Um, so when Invicta came to the forefront we were at a place with women's mma where very very few large promotions had women on their rosters at all um it was like sure dog went under or was going under bodog was gone um i'm trying to remember if you can help spit some up for me that would, that would bellator be i mean yeah, Strikeforce. Bellator had a handful but i don't think they really had flyweights at the time and it was also in this period that I decided to quit my job and um, start fighting full time. So it was a really sketchy period for me personally. And Invicta coming in and being successful and bringing women in was great because we had something that seemed moderately secure at the time um, that had every single weight class that they could, you know, that, that was out there. Um, so it gave us a little bit of job security, um, but even, even though there was this promotion and I got signed pretty quickly with them uh, once they started going and even with them, they were not having regular promotions. Um, I mean, they were trying, but they were still organizing their own brand and their own company and figuring out um, when to do shows and trying, I think, to set them up in a way that they weren't on the same nights as larger promotions. And so mm -hmm. even, Sign for them, sign for a fight. The fight could be pushed weeks and weeks off. So it was good, but I was still fighting maybe once a year. If I was really lucky, I would get twice a year. So it was, it was, it was good, but it still wasn't the most lucrative path. Yeah. Um, although I was paid pretty well by Invicta as average pay goes for promotions. You know, it's not. UFC championship money, but um, you know, I they did pay pretty well. So mm -hmm. if I fought a couple times a year, I was still doing making enough to support myself. So it was it was it was decent. Yeah. 
I mean, you weren't making Connor no. McGregor money. No. Never, <laughs> never made a Liddell money. Yeah. But no. you, were, you were able to do something you like and sure. not do the nine to five uh, job sure. yes. and, and support yourself. So I guess, you know, most people, they, that's all they can ask for, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So then you got on, yeah, because back in those days, like even like Strike Force, I don't even think they had like your weight division. They had like Gina Tomorrow's. Yeah, one one fifteen and one thirty five has always been the popular weight classes for women. Um, they've always been the ones that hit the larger organizations first. And I did think about one fifteen time and time again, but the smallest I ever managed to fight was at one twenty, and that was against Louise Herrig. And it was rough. It was a rough go. And I got bigger and bigger, bigger as I put more muscle on and was in the industry longer. And 115 just became less and less of reality. And I did. So after, um, after I was released from my title in Invicta, I considered it again, but I had to lose a lot of muscle to go into that. But it never came in. You know, they added 125, but I was much smaller by the time I went into tough. Than I was when I left Invicta too, because of making that debate about maybe going to 115. But um, yeah, so even in the larger, back in those days, in the larger ones, it was always 115 and 35, and that was pretty much it. Now, when you were Invicta, and I mean, obviously, you know, you had probably you know a successful amateur career and started winning fights as a pro. Did you foresee yourself being a world champion? I mean, that was always the goal. I, I mean, definitely not when I started, you know, not when I started back with Burger with Steve in St. Louis. It was just something to do. It was something fun to do that I liked. And like I said, it just kind of snowballed. And I, I was working um, at a laboratory. I was managing a laboratory at a university in St. Louis. And that was my career. You know, I dedicated... 10 years of my life to education for sciences and so you know that's where my life was or so I thought um and yeah no it took me two years of my husband kind of pushing me to con convincing me um and also for him to be in a place with his career where he could help support me if it didn't work out well but to quit my job and to become a fighter um and there was a period where he was finishing up his degree and I gave myself a one-year period to be like okay one year I'm going to do something with this pro thing or not at all and that period um, he finished his schooling and we moved up to the Quad Cities where I started training um, with Militage Fighting Systems. Um, mm. Junior Hernandez was currently the, the head coach at the time there but Pat Militage was still there and played an active role in my camps as well too and that's where my career really took off. Now you saying your husband like pushed you. Was there a particular reason he pushed you? Did he say, you know, you seem like happy doing this? Maybe this is something you should do, or did he see something in you? Like, no, he 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 knew I was good. He knew I was good, and he, he saw it in me before I I realized that it was a possibility. And um, he he's a no regrets kind of person, and he knew that if I didn't try it, that I think. He, he knew that I would regret not doing it eventually. So yeah, he, he talked about it and kind of nudged me towards going full time for a while because he just, he believed in me that much. Is he, is he a martial artist too? He dabbled. Um, he's done a few nagas and things like that with jujitsu, mm. but 
um, he is a human who breaks easy. <laughs> he was a hockey player and he's used to sliding and, you know, and wrestling and jujitsu, you thud more than you slide. And so he had broken ribs and toes and fingers and even an orbital. Um, so he just got injured a lot was off the mats more than he was on them. But he did compete in a few jujitsu tournaments. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy. So, so he, he, you had a very supportive husband. So now you're in Victa and you're winning fights. And then you finally got and, and won the world championship. What, yeah. what did that feel like? Did you feel like, did it feel surreal to you? Or did it feel like, yes, I finally accomplished my goal? Or did it feel like you were in a dream world when you accomplished that? That's, that's a, quite an accomplishment, you know? Um, I mean, so let's see. Before that camp, in that camp, I broke my nose terribly. I remember that. So I was a huge mouth breather, and I was worried she was going to clock me on the chin and knock me out. Um, but, I, I mean, I think that camp was so incredibly hard. And, you know, I was at Militich, and Militich was still in the days of you break your nose, you go bleed it out in the trash and get back on the mats. Yeah. At a camp. And um, I just, I remember just being so happy that that, work and all that pain and all that exhaustion paid off um it was relief i think there was a lot of relief that it, it went the way it did and that i got to have that belt because you make so many sacrifices in your life everything goes into that camp and um blood sweat and tears and pain you know and i, I think i was just so happy to see the the fruits of my labor so you know, that it was worth it. It was worth the pain. It was worth the not being able to sleep at night because I had a broken nose, getting addicted to Afrin to try to sleep at night and so forth and so on. Um, but yeah, it was surreal too. I mean, I knew the work I put in. I knew the work I put into that camp. So um, I wouldn't say that I was surprised that I won. I thought that I should have won, you know, when I'm pretty confident. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was validation, I think, if anything else winning that title was validation for everything we were doing. Now, when you were in, I got to ask this, I'm an old diehard UFC fan <laughs> of the old Pat Milicic days. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm showing my age. So when you were at Pat Milicic's camp, did you, yeah. you were there during the heyday of Matt Hughes and all of them and Jeremy Horn and did you get mm -hmm. to like, were they um, well, at the same time? Or? So um, when I was there, a lot of those guys still hung out. Like Robbie was, it was right around the time that Robbie went to AT&T, but Robbie was still there for maybe the first six months or maybe even the first year that I was there. But um, so Robbie still hung around and he was there. I don't know if you remember Drew McFedries. Drew was still coming around. Jens Pulver would come around. Tim Sylvia was still around. Matt would drop in once in a while. Um, I mean. Spencer Fisher was still around. Like there is quite a few of the old guys still there. They were on other shows. Um, yeah, like Strike Force. And well, I want to say was it one of They were all over the place. Like Jeremy yeah, Horn was all both, over the place. Yeah, both Jens had Jens had a couple fights and Tim had a couple fights. I think still I was there, um, mostly overseas, not in the states. I forget the promotion they were with, but. Um, a couple of them were still active and competing, which is always fun. 
Um, but then we also, I came up with, um, currently you have in there is Eric Shelton. And okay. I, I don't know, he's a 25er in the UFC right now. And he was coming up the same time I was coming up. Um, but there's been a few others from our day. And we've all scattered. We've got our MFS is no more. The gym's gone. Um, some of those guys up there still dabble and play. And there's still great fights that happen up in the Quad Cities. But most of us have scattered. But there are a few people that have made into the UFC that were in that group together. So it's pretty fun to watch them still. Yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know that they spent this band. That's, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, because they, I mean... Back in the day, prior to them, it was the Lions Den, and then oh, yeah. in terms of, you know, a recognizable gym, it was Pat Miltich. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and nowadays, it's, I don't, I mean, they got, you know, AT&T, the Brazilians, whatever, top team, whatever they call themselves, but I don't think those teams can compare to, what like, the older gyms, I think. I think they, it seemed to me that they had, uh, like the guys, they train. They they seem to be more loyal to each other. I think is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More yeah. family oriented. You know, they they treated each other like family. That's just well, the thing I got as, as an outsider looking in. Back in those days, it was still boxer versus wrestler versus yeah. jiu-jitsu. And the gyms were primarily one of those martial arts dominant over the other. And I think Pat was one of the first gyms um, to whole martial arts from a lot of different places and integrate it obviously he was a wrestling based gym but um he pulled aspects from dutch thai and from jujitsu and any martial art that he thought had something useful and put it into a system and that's where he created military fighting systems mfs it was his own his own yeah. art yeah. he was one of if the I'm mistaken i think he was a uh, kickboxing champion before he got into mma <sighs> From what I recall, could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. Um, very likely, though. I mean, it was, so how was your training different from there than, let's say, like Steve's gym? <sighs> um, Steve's gym was. I mean, I would call Steve's gym definitely jujitsu dominant. I he he's where my jujitsu started. Um, and it, I felt like his was more jujitsu, jujitsu, where Pat's gym was more ground and pound and wrestling. Um, I think my jujitsu was at its top. My, my straight Brazilian jujitsu, Nogi, was at its best when I was with Steve. My ground game continued to grow when I got to Pat's because I, I learned how to integrate wrestling and ground and pound and things like that in with my jujitsu. Um, we, I mean... Steve's gym was also um, up and coming when I was there, so it was more of an amateur gym, and we were all still learning, I think, at the time, but, um, you know, I I outsourced a little bit, like I would go to Sid Gee for karate, I would go to different people for boxing or conditioning, and when I was with Militich, I could do everything except my conditioning, and I could do my conditioning there, but I chose to go um, with... um, uh, another conditioner, um, a big five conditioning in uh, in the Quad Cities, because he was amazing, mm-hmm. uh, Josh Howitt. But I mean, I could do everything that I needed to do at that gym if I wanted to, instead of kind of grabbing a few other people. Okay. And then, so at this point, you were you won the Invicta belt. How far between becoming the champ 
and did it take for you to get on that Ultimate Fighter show? So I had the title, I think it was for three years. Okay. And then it was around that point that, so my coach, Junior Hernandez, was also still actively fighting. And he chose to go to AT&T in Florida to start training. So he left and moved. Um, and it was around that same time that, so a bridge was being, a new bridge was being built over where um, gravity, where our gym was. Okay. And our gym was about to get demolished. So the gym where I was at was sort of falling apart a little bit and that we lost one of the most important people there and the actual gym was going to have to get moved and we weren't sure where it was going to get moved if it was at all. So it was at that point that I told my, my husband who wanted to look for a new job to go ahead and look for a new job. And he got a new job in Washington State. And then I moved out to Washington State. And after we moved to Washington, I was on about a three-year hiatus out here where um, I floated around from gym to gym and had a, a pretty hard time finding one where I felt like I fit, um, where I meshed with people, coaches. Um, so, and that wasn't, that wasn't over an hour away from where I lived. Um, and I finally found Eddie Grant. Um, it's Catalyst Fight House in Everett, Washington. And okay. that's where I started training a little bit. And I found him only about three months prior to um, the show being announced. So Eddie and I had known each other. There was mutual respect. Um, I, I was training another girl named Julia Jones a little bit in his gym at the time, but I hadn't really jumped full blown into his gym. But when I saw the announcement for my weight class coming in by way of a tough, I wrote Eddie and I was like, hey, do you want to help me get ready for this? Um, and being that I had been out for about um, three, three years, <laughs> uh, we did a lot of pad work, a lot of conditioning, and got basically just tryout ready. You know, we knew what the tryouts were going to be, so we got tryout ready. And I didn't even have to ask Eddie. He was like, I'm going to Vegas with you. I'm going to help you do this. And I was like, great. That's great. So he was super supportive from the very beginning. Um, stylistically, I felt like we jived really well. He had a lot of old school techniques, kind of like what I had from MFS and Burger. And so, um, yeah, I went to the tryouts and I had a pretty good idea going out there. I mean, my only um, apprehension was that I'd been out so long, but I had a pretty good idea that with my previous history, that there was a good chance I'd get in. I was over the age limit for the show, so I had to do some extra medicals and things like that. And they had to make an exception for me. But, um, you know, I, I figured I had a pretty good shot at getting on and I did. So then I started getting a little more hardcore into training with, Eddie and after being about three years out I had maybe six months back in before I went on to the show so um yeah it was I was still trying to get better while I was on the show I guess you could say um but I mean I think I performed considering um that I'd been out for three years and only back into training for about six months I felt like my performance on the show was um, you know, I, I was, I was pretty satisfied with where I was when I was on it, I think. Now you say you were out for three years, you were still training. You just weren't training at an intensity of a Yeah. I mean, I was, I was training. I did jujitsu for a while, like in a gi with Andrew Solheim in Everett. And I went and played with Ivan Salivary for a while in Seattle. Um, but I mean, it was, it wasn't full-time training. It was a couple times a week. 
type oh, stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it was more dabbling in playing than actual training, I guess. Yeah. I mean, because I wanted to show you look like in great shape. I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe you just focused more on a weightlifting cardio or... Very, very skinny. <laughs> <laughs> very lean. Yeah. Um, yeah. So friends of mine who have been on the show formerly were like, come in, try to be within 10 pounds and maintain that while you're on the show. Because the thing is, is you never know when you're going to fight and you want to be able to make weight. So yeah, I, I was very lean, but I also cut down my weight to be in the house. I was really small in the house the whole time when I was there. But I mean, I do think there was benefits because weight cut was always super easy. Mm. Now your coach was Eddie Alvarez, right? Yes, yeah, Eddie was great. Yeah. Now, how was it being on the show? I mean, is it? I mean, were the cameras really following you everywhere? Twenty-four-seven, or was it just like certain hours of the day? No, you had a microphone. So you you wore a microphone twenty-four-seven. If you didn't, it hung next to your bed. Like the only time you could really take it off is if you jumped in a pool. Um, so no, you were recorded twenty-four-seven. There's no doors on the rooms in the house. Of I mean, there is for the bathrooms, but very little privacy. Um, but the experience was actually pretty great. I felt like we had a really um a really good house um not not too many drama starters and things like that um it, it was a it was a pretty good house so there was I, I don't think feel like there was a lot of need to go hide and if there was the house was huge the yard was huge there's always some place to go duck away and be away from people if you needed to be now i'm trying to remember was the show all women or was it a mixture because some shows they had just all women some they had mixed yep we were all women I thought that all, was great. All women and everybody was 125. And it was, um, so the premise of that one was 125 pound women and whoever the last two standing were competed for the title, the first title. Now, I mean, I know you didn't make it to the finals, but did being on that show kind of help you at that point in time with your career at all? Or I'm assuming you did because you got um, exposure to the. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of exposure. It was also being out for three years. I didn't really know where I fit in the rankings anymore and things like that. I didn't know, um, you know, how I would measure up to other 125 pound girls. So it helped me see where I was again with respect to competition. And, um, you know, I think that was the, the biggest thing for me to see that I could still be somewhat competitive. Um, and yeah i mean so because of a duration of being out with my move and having a hard time finding my gyms and victor released me from my title and then there was this period of am i done am i not done in my life where i kind of i kind of retired before i retired i guess you could say so i felt like doing the show gave me a couple benchmarks one it, I, I got to check off the UFC veteran. I got to be, I got to do a tough and I got to check off the UFC veteran, which are two, I think, things that a lot of fighters strive to have on their fight resume before they finish. The other thing it did was by the time I finished in the UFC, by the time I had that last loss to Roxanne, I knew I was ready to retire. I was happy to walk away from the sport where 
before I did tough in the UFC, I felt like I wasn't quite done yet. It was really hard to let it go. So going through the show and getting to fight in the UFC a few times, um, although past my prime and way later than I would have preferred it to have been in my career, um, I think it was really great that I got to add those things to my resume and also feel like I got closure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough sport that, you know, you fighters are in. But in, in general, athletics is it's kind of hard to keep going and maintain. Like, you know, every single sport, someone's got to look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, it's time to hang it up. You know, in your case, it's the, the, the gloves, so to speak, the MMA gloves. Yeah, and the physical drive has to, your heart has to match your physical drive. I feel like I could have fought for a few more years, but it was to the point that I was done making personal sacrifices for the sport. And I knew that was when I, I knew that was when it was time to be done because you have to, but you know, it's, you basically make your partner, um, it's a, they're kind of MMA widows, you know, like where they, yeah. They, yeah, they they just they get left on the sidelines while you're going to do your thing, and then on the, the your day off, your rest day, they want to have you and play with you, and all you want to do is sleep and hydrate and feel better, and you're kind of grumpy because your body hurts and you're probably starving, and so it's just it's a really rough thing to do with a partner, and you know going in, coming out, and then trying to go back in, I. I realize that, you know, my husband had, had sacrificed enough and I had sacrificed enough of my time with him that I was just really not ready to do that again. It, it just, it, again, it helped me, um, it helped me walk away when it was time to walk away. So what are you, what are you doing now that you're retired from MMA? Um, so I've been coaching and training other people. I started in the last year, started coaching and training more people and I'm loving it. I did it a little bit in my early career. I did some personal training. Uh, when I originally quit my job and started fighting, I did a little bit of personal training back then. And, um, you know, it was just like a natural progression kind of when I was done fighting to start help other people, um, you know, not just not just fight training, but um, other conditioning. I've got a woman who's uh, was a former bodybuilder and wants to get back in bodybuilding and she's also got a physical job starting up so I'm helping her get ready. I have a woman who um, wants to become a firefighter so I recently helped her pass her CPAT. Um, you know and I've got I've got people who are starting up jiu-jitsu and want to be physically ready for jiu-jitsu so I mean all of that's really really rewarding and fun. Now is this at, is this at a gym that you own or you work out of a gym? Or? No um, I guess you could say I rent time out of okay. the gym. Uh, so there's two. I'm, I'm still at Catalyst Fight House in Everett. Um, so Eddie, the, the gym that helped me get ready for tough. And then there's another one um, in very close proximity. It's a, it's a strongman gym called Ego, which is okay. also in Everett. Yeah. So I, I work out of both of those. Now, do, you, do, do your clients know that you are a world MMA champion? Yeah, they do. Um, you think that's why they sought you out, or was it um, like how, how did they find out? Did they just see your flyer, train with a world champ, or so? A lot of them I obtained through Catalyst, through the MMA gym, and then 
the ones that I've obtained through ego, um, they usually tell the clients what I, I mean, and they don't necessarily know what it means. They're not all MMA fans, but they know that I had a history of being a champ. I don't know that they all necessarily know exactly what it means, but they know, they know that I was. Mm. Yeah. Now, when your friends growing up that, that you stayed in touch with and they found out that you were doing MMA and you became a world champ, were they at all shocked or were they like, ah, we figured you'd be a champ? Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like I had a mix of both. Um, some people were really surprised by it and other people had the, uh, they, they could see it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I guess it just depends on everybody knows a different version of you, I guess. And it just depends yep. on what version of me they thought they knew, I think. Um, yeah. so I had, I had both, I, I had both sides of that. Mm. So what, what are your plans for your future? Are you just going to grow your training business, um, write a book? On your, on your life as an MMA fighter? Um, sure, I'd write a book if somebody would be willing to help me publish that. That'd be fun. No, but, um, you know, I don't know. I feel I feel like I'm at a place where I'm kind of starting over again for right now. I'm focusing on uh, my training business, but I, I'm always open to ideas and options at this point. You know, I feel a little bit like I'm starting over at 40. Um, I think it's one of the really hard parts for fighters when you quit is you kind of have this change of identity. I, I've dedicated 12, 13 years of my life to this and now it's, it's what do I do, you know? So at the moment I feel like it's my turn to give back, which is part of the reason I like training so much. Um, but I, I feel like I could go a lot of different avenues right now. So I'm, I'm very open um, to opportunities. And it's one of those things I'm gonna place that if I get an opportunity, I'm probably gonna take it and see how things work out. But my primary focus at the moment is training, is working with people. Okay. Now, do you have a, um, for anybody who's interested out there that's listening to the show that's near you, uh, you mentioned the gyms, but is there like a, like how, how do they get in touch with you? Just go show up at the gym. Is there a Facebook handle you have or a website? Yeah, I need to work on all of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, my Instagram is probably my most active at behanchak. Um, otherwise contacting me through messenger on, on Facebook is a pretty good option otherwise email h-o-n-c-h-a-b at hotmail.com yes hotmail i know i'm old too yeah um those are all good ways to get a hold of me otherwise yeah ego you can contact me through either um catalyst in everett or ego in everett okay yeah so there you go the in a nutshell a summary of your life on the Mark the Shark MMA Show podcast. How's it feel? <laughs> it feels, I don't know, it feels good. It's been a moment. It's been a moment since I've, I've given my biography out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a pleasure and an honor having you on the show. I had a blast. Thank you. And I um, hope, hope to uh, have you on again in the future. Sure. And if you ever get to need someone to help you with your book, I can give you some tips. <laughs> That'd be great. All righty. Yeah. Okay. All right, everyone. We'll be back after this break.
coupon queen pen from the CQP Moments podcast, and you're listening to Mark the Shark MMA Show. All right, guys, we're back on the show today. I got a very special uh, guest, uh, former UFC and Bellator professional MMA fighter Clifford Starks. How you doing today, Clifford? Um, I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> so where, where are you from? What, what state are you from? I'm originally from California, but I've lived in Arizona most of my life. So I consider myself almost native of Arizona. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so the weather down is probably nice where you are now, right? It's a little bit warm right now, but uh, I'm thinking late September, early October, it should start cooling off. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. And then, um, yeah, so how did you get into the uh, martial arts? Like, did you have, like, a wrestling background first or boxing background? Yeah, well, I started with the wrestling background. I wrestled in high school, and I also wrestled at Arizona State University. Okay. So I wrestled with a bunch of studs over there from Kane Velasquez, Ryan Bader, C.B. Dalloway. And um, I, they actually started training in MMA well before I did. I just got into it because the itch was still there. You know, I missed the competitive spark, and I wanted to get, get back in there and see what I could do. Now, did you start MMA right after you got done with college, or was it, like, years later? It was actually years later. So I officially started in 2009, and I graduated in 2005. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so it had been personal training and coaching and, and just going that route. Now, how was it going? Like, did you, did you notice? I guess, obviously, you noticed guys that came to last year and all those other guys, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but when you were in the wrestling room, you guys they more matched you up guys according to the weight, right? They or- did. I was actually the guy who went with Kane the most. There's actually a funny story behind that because <laughs> no one wanted to go with that guy. He's an animal. No one wanted to go with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was the only guy who would really go with him regularly. It wasn't fun, but it toughens you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what weight class did you fight at as a pro? I was an 85er, so I fought at 185. So you probably walked around like around two, 205 maybe? Yeah, I was between 200 and 205. And how big were you in college when you were wrestling with Kane? I got up to around 215, 220, and that was more I was force-feeding myself just because I had to keep the weight on. Oh, really? Would you mm-hmm. prefer to uh, wrestle at a lighter weight class? or I would have liked to be at a lighter weight class. It's, it's kind of funny. So It's usually the actually... opposite, right? Usually the wrestling coach yeah. says, I want you to yeah. cut weight. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, I was actually – I was going to quit the team. So I, I needed to, to make cash. I needed to make some money. And um, I told my coach, like, coach, I – I got to quit. I got to make money so I can uh, support my, basically my tuition. And he told me that he was going to take care of it. So he ended up, he ended up putting me on a scholarship. And that, that's pretty rare when it comes to the collegiate level, especially for wrestling, because they're only, 
limit they have very limited scholarships for wrestling. Oh wow. So I guess the guy yeah. explores some potential in you, right? Yeah, like, yeah. On the matter, so, off the mat. I'm like, okay, well I'll definitely yeah, I'll definitely stay on if you're gonna pay for my tuition. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you got do you still keep in cut touch with your wrestling coach from college or uh, from time to time. Yeah, it was, T- it was uh, Tom Ortiz. Yeah. Okay. So he actually, he ended up becoming a coach in MMA as well uh, for Fight Ready. And he actually started his own promotion too. Oh, okay. What's the name of that promotion? Yeah. you know the name of the it? World, uh, world Fighting Federation. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Did he ever do any MMA himself or? He did do a couple matches, yeah. He actually did pretty good, too. Wow. Yeah. So how many um, amateur fights did you have before you turned pro? I just went went straight to pro right away. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's not unheard of. Some people do it today, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having, having the background, having the background definitely gives you that option to really go into that. Because if you're wrestling at like a D1 level wrestling level, you're like a black belt in something at least yes. in one of the arts. Yeah. And so yeah. you're just learning other arts and adding onto that. Yeah. Now, how I'm assuming you worked on your striking. And when you were when you started your mixed martial arts training, like, who was your Big primary uh, striking coach? Did you go uh, to Trevor Lolly? Yeah, what? Trevor Lolly and Jameson White. Oh, okay. Yeah. So was your training under one roof, or did you have to go somewhere else? I started at one spot, and then I started going to a couple different places because in order. In order to really sharpen your skills in all areas, it's important to find different training partners. Okay. Yeah. How did how quickly or not quickly did the striking come to you? Um, it came relatively quickly, but it's also the time you put in, just like anything else. Like they say, some people are are born with innate abilities. And I kind of do believe that, but at the same time, it takes a lot of effort to really tailor and sharpen a skill set. And so I, I just put in a lot of effort in the gym to get sharp in that area. Now, did you find yourself when you were training and you're striking that you cut back, that you had to cut back on your grappling? A little bit, it's yeah. only so many hours in the day, right? Uh-huh. It actually it kind of hurt me a little bit because I was so striking focused. I actually went away from my wrestling and some of my matches it it did actually hinder what I could have potentially done in a couple of my fights. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Now how were you when you were growing up? Like did you start wrestling like when you were 5 or 10 or I started wrestling late actually. Um, I was actually a pretty, pretty heavy set kid. And uh, let's see, when did I really start taking it serious? Around 14, 15 years old, I was just done of being called and made fun of as being the big fat kid. And I made a transition and I did the things that I needed to do. 
and I ended up wrestling my freshman year in high school. Yeah, that was the start of my athletic career. Funny thing is, so I started off with doing a camp. Okay. And when season started, our coach is like, he's kicking our ass. And I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Like, what did, did we do something wrong? So afterwards, I go to one of my teammates. I'm like, what did we do wrong for him to do all this crap to us? He goes, Cliff, that's conditioning. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. You're getting ready for the season. I'm like, man, okay, well, live and learn. But that's, that's how green I was in the sport. Like, I didn't know that you had to do all of those things. Yeah. Well, I find that's different. Like, with uh, wrestling, I would say wrestling and definitely, like, tie fighters, they do a lot of uh, more conditioning than just the mm -hmm. technique. You know, like, jiu-jitsu guys, they, they're kind of, like, lazy with, with that. They should do it, though. <laughs> that's why they get so tired after, like, the second round. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they don't believe in warm-ups. They just... You know, they go over a few techniques and they go right to it. Whereas the wrestlers, you know, you guys are like drilling those takedowns over and over again. And then on top of it, you're doing the, the conditioning, you know, like yeah. uh, uh, when I, I went to your college and there was, I remember I had a, uh, a neighbor in my dorm. He was a on the wrestling team and he would like, I think he was running in the morning or in the afternoon. I forget it. They would have him run like five miles. Then yeah. they would hit the weight room, and then the, the last, the third section would be just wrestling. Mm, yep. Yeah. So I guess that's why it's a, probably a little, other than the techniques themselves, probably a little easier for wrestlers to get into MMA, right? Because they're used to that, all that hard. It helps a lot. Grind. Yeah, it helps a lot because it's, you know, they, they talk about mindset, and mindset's a lot more than just, thinking it mindset's doing it too like you can't just think your way into conditioning or being in shape and so as a wrestler yeah you're going through a grind you know you're going through a grind and a push and it just it toughens you and it strengthens you and so not only does your body become calloused and hard your mind becomes calloused and hard too mm. so you were in high school you wrestled did you do any other sports other than wrestling did you do football at all or yeah, so I was a football player, and I did a track and field as well. I was a shot putter and a discus thrower. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow, man. You're real athletic. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did well for myself. I was a, actually a state champion in the shot put and uh, All-American in football, too. Wow. Now, was there any yeah. point when you were doing the uh, – because you – when you were doing a football, did you see yourself doing football? Did you do football in college or just the rest? I did. Well, I did for a couple of years because I went to a community college. Okay. So I played for a few years at a community college. Oh, okay. I okay. Yeah, I didn't like football as much as the one. I really liked the one-on-one -on -one sports. Okay. I was never really as big into the team sports, and that's probably because – I'd rather take blame for me messing up and like, okay, I screwed up. What do I do? But when your whole team's messing up and you can have a good game, like, okay, the team still loses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That's amazing. So 
But when you were doing a shot put where, like, you said you won the States and the shot put, did you ever, like, think, yeah. oh, I can go further with that as opposed to the wrestling? I, I could have. I could have. But it's it's pretty similar to what happened to me in wrestling. Like I said, I was forcefully keeping the weight on. Shot oh. putters have to be big guys. Like, to compete at that level, I would probably have to be at least 250, 260. And I could get there, but I don't. I don't like force feeding myself, not to that level at least. Wow. Well, what are you walking yeah. at now? So I usually walk between 200, 205, still walking around the same. Holy cow. Yeah. That's insane. All right, guys, we're going to take a uh, quick break, and we'll be right back. Awesome. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash MMA show and browse the unmasked selection of audio programs. Download a trial for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash MMA show. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy and more from our leading audiobook publishers broadcasters and entertainers and if you need a book suggestion i have two one is called i am a survivor by christina ritorto and the other one is written by me mark ritorto called the cabal the saga begins and it's angelica from a little bit of everything with me podcast and you're listening to mark the shark mma show and don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate to his podcast for more amazing episodes. All right, guys, we're back on the show. I uh, still got Clifford, uh, Clifford Starks, a former UFC and Bellator fighter with me on the line here. And uh, we're still chatting, uh, finding out a little bit more about this interesting MMA fighter. All right, Clifford, <laughs> we're going over your, uh, your how you were in high school doing a shot put. Um, and how you, you've, you dealt, you were more into individual sports than team sports. So when you went from high school going into college, you did, mm -hmm. uh, you did the community, when you were in a community school, you did the uh, football. Yeah. Now, when did you go over to, uh, the division one school for wrestling? Was that like so in, two years? Yeah. So I went for, I went to the community college from 2000 to 2002. Okay. And then I ended up, I ended up wrestling in 2002. I went straight to ASU from there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, how did you get into MMA? Like, was there a particular individual, or did you see a certain fight, and you're like, all right, I gotta find out more about this? Or was there something in, in your wrestling team that contacted you? How did how did you find out about it? You know. So I knew about it, and I had watched it, and I thought it was crazy, to be honest. <laughs> I'm like, this, this crap's insane, right? And I just, I don't know. I got the itch to give it a try. I'm like, I got to, I don't, I, I like trying complicated things. It looked hard to do, and I wanted to see if I could be any good at it. So yeah. I'm like, all right, well, let me give this a try. See, see if I can do something with it. Yeah. Now, who was your first fight with? I don't know if you can remember that far back. Like, who, who was the um, first fight it was, you put? 
It was Rage in the Cage. I okay. don't remember the guy's name. I looked like crap in the fight. I looked terrible because I didn't know how to fight. Um, but I ended up, I actually retired him. So I broke three of his ribs and his orbital. I felt pretty bad about that. <laughs> I did feel bad about that. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I, w- I, was, I was built to be a fighter, though. Like, my body is built to fight. I have a tough chin. I'm a strong guy. I have din- a dense bone structure. So I have all the capabilities of being a good fighter, and that guy just didn't have the capabilities. And honestly, it's a hard lesson to learn if you have it or not because there's no way to know unless you actually get in there and then you kind of know. Wow. I'm assuming the other guy had like maybe one or two more fights more than you or. No, we were both debut fighters. Yeah. We were both debut fighters and yeah, it was. Your MMA debut, you get your orbital ball broken. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's just kind of like, and the, the funny thing is, I didn't even know that happened until my second fight. So I, his coach, his coach saw me. He's like, hey, you remember me? Like, oh, yeah, you coached that, that one kid that I fought. And I was like, how's he doing, by the way? And he, he chuckles. He goes, oh, you retired him. He goes, he broke three of his ribs and his orbital. Like, he was like, yeah, this isn't for me. And I, I was just like, damn, I'm sorry to hear that. But at least, I mean, at least he found out that it wasn't for him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, wow. Now, which organization did you go to first? Like after that, went down the road. The was bigger it UFC or was it Bellator? So I I fought in something called Shark Fights, okay. and then I signed I like that. to the UFC. Got my nickname in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then um, so I got signed on to UFC after that. And the funny thing is, I probably. I probably was in the UFC a little too early and I wanted to get, I wanted to make it to the UFC in a year and I ended up doing it, but I was, my skill sets just weren't as sharp. They weren't nearly as sharp as when I fought in Bellator or fought in the WSOF. And I ended up fighting. I could fight with them, but it was like, there were certain positions that I wasn't good at. Like for instance, I fought Ed Herman. And I was just, I was beating the crap out of him. And he ended up doing this. It was a pretty nice sweep. He ended up sweeping me on my back. And I didn't have the jujitsu skills that I ended up learning later on. And I ended up giving him my back. And he Uh, got me in a chokehold. Yeah. Oh, wow. And you had like three fights in the UFC, right? Yeah. So I beat a guy named Dustin Jacoby. Uh, He was my first fight. And I ended up fighting, my third fight was with Yoel Romero. And I felt good in the fight. Yeah, I felt good in the fight. The guy's a beast, explosive, very powerful dude. And he ended up catching me with a flying knee. And he caught me. Yeah, yeah, go figure, right? (laughs) Don't feel bad. He caught caught Weidman with that, too. (laughs) Yeah, he he caught a few people with that damn thing. And um, the biggest thing was I felt good. You know, I felt good in the fight. He just, he threw it up there in a, in a spot that I didn't think he could get it. Like, I didn't think he could, ne- could connect with where he was, and he could. You know, I dropped my guard for a second, and that's all it takes in the sport sometimes. Wow. 
So yeah. from the time you debuted in MMA in general, you got into the UFC within a year. Mm-hmm. Is, wow. That's pretty impressive, dude. My yeah, hat's off. Yeah. Wow. I know my coach my coach was like, There's no way this is gonna happen. Cause I actually told him I wanted to do that too. And he's kind of like, he sat me down, he goes, That doesn't happen. Which made me want to do it that much more. So I'm like, yeah, well, now I really yeah. want to try this. <laughs> so, how did, so how did you get the call? Like, was the Dana or someone matchmaker see you fight somewhere else? Did you win a title? Yeah. So, so when I won in shark fights, um, Dustin Jacoby had I can't remember Tavares, Brad Tavares. So Brad okay. Tavares was supposed to fight Jacoby, and Tavares got hurt, and so they needed. They needed a replacement. And so I, I ended up – I actually fought a week before that too. And so they're like, are you, are you down to fight? And I go, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So did yeah. they, they contacted your, your trainer or – They contacted the agent I was working with at the time. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, his name was Jason Chambers. Okay. Yeah. And then how far after the UFC did you go into Bellator? Um, I had fought in Bellator a couple of times, on and off. So whenever they would ha- hold an event in Arizona, I would fight on those cards. Okay. I'm actually undefeated in Bellator, too. Okay. Now, when you yeah. did the UFC, you didn't, did you have a contract? Well, the first one, you were uh, a replacement. Were the other ones like, or they saw you, you won, they give you a contract for two more fights? Or so, was it- so, yeah, I had a, I had a four-fight contract. Oh. Okay. Uh, the, yeah, so the only issue, and it's, it's the fight game. It is what it is. Um, so the contract's to favor the UFC, not the fighter. <laughs> so, the, they, yeah, the UFC can cut you whenever they want to cut you. And it, it really kind of sucked, the situation. Like, I – I wasn't dealt the best card, you know, like I ended up fighting UL. I knew he was a dangerous fight and I wanted to see how I would do with them. And I felt, I felt good in there. You know, I felt good in there and I just ended up getting caught big athletic, strong guy, but I feel like I could have fought with anyone in the UFC and he ends up going, going on to fight for the title two times later on. Yeah. And that's that's the fight that gets me cut. Like I was, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, that's the way life goes sometimes. Yeah. So when you were in UFC, and then you did, was Bellator? Were you doing Bellator at the same time, or was it like after the UFC contract? Because I don't know if they had it. It was. It was after the UFC contract. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, who was your first fight in uh, Bellator? Do you remember? I fought a guy named Joey Yeager. Okay. Yeah. And then obviously you won that because you said you were you were undefeated in that Bellator. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because so I'm fighting him, and no disrespect to Joey because Joey's a great fighter, but he's not nearly as athletic as Joel. And in the back of my head, I'm kind of like, okay, let's watch out for certain moves. There were just certain moves that Joey could never do that Joel could do but it's in the back of the fighter's mind a little bit. And so you just have to make sure that that doesn't play out. And I ended up beating him, but I didn't beat him the way I wanted to beat him. Ah, okay. And then you went on to World Series of Fighting, right? 
Yeah. Now, um, let me just see if I got this right here. Did you fight David Branch in World Series fighting? I did. Was that for I the did, title? Yeah. Huh? Was that was that for the title? That was for the title. Yeah, so I went on a fight with had uh, feeling really good. Ended up fighting and I freaking strained my back for like one. So my training camp, I had a strained back, which uh, kind of sucked, but it is what it is. And then you just showed up to the fight and pushed through it, right? Yeah. Wow. Mm. Now, was that your, like, how, how many fights did you have in a World Series of Fighting? So I had a total of four fights with WSOF. Okay. So, and that was the last organization you fought in, right? I ended up fighting a couple fights in Russia. Really? And I, yeah, yeah. So I fought a couple fights in Russia. Um, I ended up having my kid too, which made fighting a lot more difficult. <laughs> Lack of sleep and more, yeah. They take up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I just, it, it, it changed things up a little bit and... Fighting is a, I don't want to call it a selfish discipline, but it's kind of a selfish discipline. Like you have to be in your game when you're, yeah. when you're fighting at a high, high level. And so that's kind of the reason, actually, that is the reason that I gave it up because I felt like I could still continue to fight. I still had the skill set to fight, but I wanted to play father. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, because you can only do it once, right? The kids grow yeah. up fast, so you Absolutely. gotta take advantage of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, looking back on all your fights, uh, I mean, I know y'all uh, knocked you out with a flying knee, but other than yeah. him, like, who was the toughest guy that you ever fought in, in MMA during your career? The funny thing is, my toughest fight ever was my second fight. Really? Yeah, because. So on, on the toughness scale, you got to look at the skill set of the individual too. So I wasn't a very skilled fighter for my second fight, but I was fighting a skilled fighter who knew how to kick, who knew how to, like, he was, a, he was above my skill level. Okay. There, well, I had two really super tough fights, my second fight and my fourth fight. Okay. And it's because I was taking fights – with people that were above my skill level. And I think that those are the best fights to have anyway, though, because you get to see where you're at. You get to see what kind of person you are. Are you going to walk, walk away with your tail between your legs or are you going to try and fight? And so tough fights, yes, and very empowering transformational fights for me because it showed like I'm just going to keep gutting it out and doing what I can do. And luckily I ended up winning both of those fights. Uh, and now, what made those fights tough? Was it there because were they just the striking? Like you know, because you—I mean—you were a Division One wrestler. You wrestled with Kane, so it can't mm-hmm. be. I mean, I know there's a lot of wrestlers in MMA, but there's not not yeah. everybody's a Division One wrestler. You know, not yeah. everyone is used to wrestling Kane. Yeah. So yeah, it was the, the wrestling I was fine in. I didn't have to worry about the wrestling. 
but the striking, like the, the second guy, he was a Muay Thai guy. And he just kept chopping at my leg, and I didn't even know how to check a kick. So I'm just taking these clean kicks to my thigh over and over and over again. And I gutted through it, ended up winning the fight, but I literally couldn't walk, like walk properly for two weeks. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. I yeah. So it's just, too, man, I've done I've done a little Muay Thai, dude. And I remember I was like going against this guy in the class. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this guy's like huffing and puffing, he can't even do push ups. Yeah. So, Came to sparring, bro. He mm-hmm. had conditioning. He landed a few leg kicks on me. I was done. I could have walked for weeks. Dude. It really changes everything. So I'm taking clean, clean kicks to the leg, limping all over the place, doing what I got to do. And I remember like a month after that, uh, I actually had Jameson White, one of my coaches. I'm like, teach me everything there is about kicking and how to stop every single kick. Because I never want that to happen again. <laughs> wow. Did you have to go to yeah. therapy at all after that or not? Yeah, I had to get it scraped up. Like, there's a big chunk of scar tissue that I had to get. Take it. Like, it was not fun. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, you got to get, uh, what did you get that metal thing? Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, dude, that shit sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. was not pleasant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've had like I've gone because I had a lot of problem with my legs. I got like uh, IT band issues and stuff, so I go for a lot of like uh, deep tissue massage on my legs, dude. And I just the lady just laughs. I'm like cursing at her while she's doing it, and she's just sitting there laughing. People can hear me in the room next door, man. I'm like cursing, I'm like motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> yeah, man, it sucks. So after your MMA career, now you're your father. Like, what what are you doing with yourself now? Like, what what are you doing now? <laughs> so right now, I I focus mostly on my coaching. So it's like okay. I I take people through a transformational process, and it's really about taking people through the fire. Because when you go through the fire, nothing can stop you. But it's about going through that fire, you know. And so you got to have the right voices and the right people in your team that make you feel like you can go through the fire. Okay. So you're coaching MMA, correct? No, I actually focus on several different things. So I do do MMA and my personal training and I focus on mindset too. So I can actually do it mobile. Yeah, I can, I can do it mobile because everything starts with the mindset. Like everything starts with that. If you can give a person the right story that they need to really get them to take the action that they have to take, that's where their life transforms. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, the mind is a, a very important aspect, you know? It is. It absolutely is, yeah. And it can push you through a lot of things that your body, you don't think you can physically do. Yeah. I honestly believe in that. Now, do you do any, like, um, do you coach any, like, wrestling at all, or is it just MMA on the side? Do you do, um, like, both? high school wrestling it really depends on who because my time's limited so if if i feel like someone's going to get i'm only going to give as much as someone's going to give me okay so be someone who's willing to give a hundred percent and they really want to be a better wrestler i'll work with them okay but if they just want to kind of lollygag and have a little bit of fun with wrestling, i just i don't have time for that right now 
And so I'm just kind of like, yeah, um, just go train with the other guys. <laughs> Gonna be completely honest. <laughs> you would stay in touch with the other guys, you know, that made it to the UFC, like Kane. You stay in touch with them, the guys that you Kane from with. time to time when he's out on this side. Yeah, I've I've stayed in touch with him from time to time. More so, Ryan Bader. I haven't talked to CB for a while. I have to say what's up to him though. Like I respect and love all those guys. They're they're a great group of guys. The reason I kind of stay a little more touch with Bader is he's still in kind of the training circuit. As you, he's a two-time Bellator yeah. champion right now. Yeah. He's crushing. Yeah, he's done really he's well since he went over there. Yeah, he's doing really really well. And so um but yeah, CB, another cool dude, Kane Velasquez, cool guy. Now, were you? Have you been to any of their fights? Have they? Kane, I, was at, I was at one of Kane's. It sucked because I knew he could beat Dos Santos, and it was the one that he lost to him in. Ah. Uh, we were both fighting on the same card. Yeah. Okay. And I'm glad he got it. Like Bader, what about Bader? Um, I've never been to Bader's fights. I've watched him fight. Okay. I've watched him fight, and I got to tell you, when he when he knocked out uh, Fedor, it was a nice left hook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a nice hook. Yeah. Now, do you still practice your striking at all, or are you just yeah, yeah? Because well, so now I do jujitsu tournaments. Cause oh, okay. It just doesn't go away. Like it never really goes away. That's. Even when I when I went from athletics to not doing anything, that's why I had to go out and fight. I had I had to. I couldn't just sit on the sidelines anymore. And even even with being a personal trainer and helping people get to where they need to go, you just have the hunger doesn't go away. That fire doesn't go away. It keeps burning. So you have to have an outlet for it, some way or another. Okay. So what kind of what kind of jiu-jitsu tournaments are you doing? Like the Naga, IBJF, submission only, or I've been, I've done uh, IBJFF, and I've also done uh, the Naga. I've done a couple state tournaments. I'm going to do one of the submission only. That's gonna that's coming up in November, I believe. I have to double check on that. But yeah, I I like doing them all. Okay. I can see you probably doing – you probably, like, advanced up pretty fast in there too, right? Because you're in Division One. Oh, active. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's helped a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine because you, you already got the takedowns and mm -hmm. you're already used to competing, which a lot of jiu-jitsu guys aren't used to that, not to mention yes. takedowns. So, okay. So, you do – so, that's cool that you're still, you're still being active and doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, but you don't do any of the striking anymore or anything like that? or um, I play around from time to time. I don't think it's ever going to completely go away because okay. it's fun. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of fun doing it and uh, try to pass the torch, help others learn what they need to learn. And I, I don't know about my son. He might be a fighter. My, my wife doesn't really like that very much, but I'm like, Bev, he's kind of he's have that fighter mentality already. So we'll see. We'll see what he ends up doing. How old's your son now? He just turned three. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I don't know about in your area, but my area, they start them, they start them wrestling at five. 
Yeah. Uh, so um, I think Steve might, right? Then that's my jujitsu instructor. Oh, yeah. I didn't give Steve his credit. So Steve ended up coming in later on, which probably would have helped me in the UFC because I didn't really have a grappling coach yet. And that's where I was getting in trouble on the jujitsu aspect. And so he ended up coming on later on, and he's he's been a big part of my game of sharpening up my jujitsu. Okay. But yeah, so he might be training my son here pretty soon, which would be really. Oh, good. that's great! That's great. Yeah. You got to yeah. start young, man. Absolutely, now, it makes the process easier. <laughs> now, out of in the world of uh, mixed martial arts, is there a particular fighter that you like and admire? Honestly, I admire them all just because they walked in the cage. Like, I'll tell you another thing. Once I started, when I was fighting locally, a lot of people talk about how good they can fight. A lot of people talk about what they'll do and how they'll do it. But once your hands start getting taped and you have to walk to that cage, then you get to see who the real fighters are. You know, talk doesn't really do that much. And so when you're, when you're fighting at that stage, that's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That didn't happen overnight. That comes from putting in a lot of effort and a lot of energy. So I respect anyone who can get to that level. I hear you. I hear you. Now, if you had to say something to someone who's looking to get started in mixed martial arts, with, you know, particularly at the amateur level, like what kind of advice would you give them? Find someone who's going to support you and believe in you and go take that damn action. You get those two things, you'll be good to go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, if you had to uh, point out like one particular area that you say, what, what area of martial arts do you think is the most useful for MMA? Is it the striking, the wrestling? Oh, wrestling by far. It's not even close. And, it, and it's not a biased statement. It's not, a bi- it's not to be biased being a wrestler myself. Yeah. I've, I've trained in all the arts. They make you feel like, you know that feeling where your, your mind's just like, why in the hell are you doing this? Yeah. Well, in wrestling, they teach you to push past that. I have never seen, maybe Muay Thai, actually. In Muay Thai, they're pretty damn tough, too. Yeah. But in jujitsu, no offense to all you jujitsu people, I got love for you. But let's be honest, that just quit. It's just like, oh yeah, just quit. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. You don't get that option in wrestling. There, there is no quit. You don't get the option. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Now let's talk a little bit more about the the coaching you do. Um, do you have like a website set up, like a Facebook page? Like, how will people get in touch with you? Yeah, so I have a website. I got my website, cliffordstarks.com. They can also email me at info at cliffordstarks. And I have a Facebook messenger. So if you ever want a Facebook messenger, you can Instagram me, DM me there. I try to be accessible enough to either work with you or find the person who would best work with you. Okay. Now, yeah. you say a lot of the stuff you do mobily. Is it over like like a Skype session or is it through your website? or 
I you know, it really, it really depends on what works best for the person. Because okay. like I said, I have the mindset training, but I also have personal training too. So if okay. a Skype would work better for that individual, I'll do Skype with them. Okay. Now is the personal yeah. training that's in terms of like fitness and getting back in shape, right? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Okay. Yep. Now is that at, at a, a gym near you or do you have your own gym for that? Or? Yeah, I actually work out of Arizona combat sports still. Okay. And yeah, eventually I'll probably start my own facility. And I also, just like I said, I can do it mobily or online as well. So okay. if someone would rather do it through Skype or do it through another means, I actually do, I write out workout programs too. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So they got your website. If anybody wants to get in touch with Clifford, he's got the website set up. You can get in touch with him on Facebook. I think you also gave out your email address. Yep. Clifford, it was a great having you here on the show. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on in the future. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, everybody, we'll be back after this break. Hey, fans. Here at Podcast City Network, we have a lot of great shows on all of our great social media outlets. PodcastCity.net. Facebook.com slash Podcast City Network. Hit that thumbs up. You can send a tweet to Podcast City Network on Twitter at Podcast City Net. Only on Podcast City Network. Are you a fan of the Mark the Shark MMA show? Are you looking for some swag? Check us out on the web at www.marktheshark.mmashow.com where we sell t-shirts, hoodies, crop tops, hats, beanie hats, anything you want. Check it out. Are you also looking to become a guest on the show and be interviewed by me, Mark the Shark Retorto? Well, go to the website and sign up as a guest. Are you looking to become a sponsor? Go to the website. Sign up. Take advantage of the wild range growth of the sport of MMA and be have your business and service advertised to millions of listeners that listen to this podcast every week worldwide from everywhere. Check it out. www.marktheshark.mmashow.com Hi everyone, this is Mark the Shark Retorto, sending a message to all the fans out there. If you enjoy this podcast, please help support it by making a small donation. It could be anywhere from a dollar, $4.99, or $9.99. It could even be a monthly donation. Any amount is appreciated. To donate to this money to this podcast, go to www.marktheshark.com. Again, that's www.markthesharkmmshow.com. Hi, this is Mark the Shark Retorto. This is a message to all the parents out there. Are you looking for an inspirational book for your child to read? Well, check out a book written by a child, 11-year-old little girl by the name of Christina Retorto. She has two books. One is called Invisible Girl, and one is called I Am a Survivor. Both inspirational books written by a child for a child. You can find them at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com as well as her website, 
www.retortofamilybooks.com. Again, that's R-I-T-O-R-T-L. from a little bit of everything with me podcast and you're listening to mark the shark mma show and don't forget to like subscribe and rate to his podcast for more amazing episodes all right guys we're at the end of our show this is mark retorto i'm signing off And don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page. It's called The Mark the Shark MMA Show. And it's Mark with a C and not a K. And also, feel free to leave us messages by using the Anchor app. And also, don't forget, if you look in the mood for a good action thriller book, to buy my book called The Cabal, The Saga Begins. It's available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And if you need a good book for your kid, get the I Am Survivor book. Or Invisible Girl book written by my daughter, Christina Retorto, also available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show and continue to listen to our shows every week. Thank you.